Friends, welcome to another episode of Leadosophy. I have my Leadosophy fuel this morning, some coffee. The elixir, the lifeblood of Leadosophy. Remember, you're here on Leadosophy with an open mind because that is the rule, not the exception. Today's episode, pretty straightforward. We're continuing this discussion on closed-mindedness origins of the closed mind, how to break free from the closed mind, which is, I would argue, harder than it looks, harder than it seems. We're going to talk about power structures today, eight power structures that influence our thought, eight power structures that influence our thought, and a little dive into Jeremy Bentham and the idea of the panopticon. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Here we go. Are you ready to permanently fuse leadership and philosophy? Then a word of caution. You are about to enter the fully abstract yet wholly concrete realm of leadosophy. Our ideas are not always so clear and distinct. To validate this proposition, we welcome the host of Leadosophy, Tim Wood. Welcome back, everyone, to Leadosophy. The power structures. How do we develop a closed mind? We started talking about this a little bit on the last episode. Even, I would argue, the episode before we started talking about cognitive biases. But I mentioned on the last episode how my buddy Ken emailed me and asked me, you know, I've always talked about open mind is the rule, not the exception. And that's the mantra here on, on Leadosophy. But I think uh, Ken would agree. Having an open mind is not as easy as it seems. And I would argue as well that I think a closed mind is probably more of our default cognitive setting. For a variety of reasons and I think we'll get into a little bit of that today based on Ken's question about where does the closed mind come from how do we develop this closed mindedness where you know we, we talked about a couple definitions of, of closed mindedness the article we talked about on the last episode talked about refusal to accept new information and then at the end of the last episode I talked about the analogy of a check valve where it's not always we're refusing to, to listen to new information or seek out new information, but it's also we receive this information, we are, are receiving information from the time we're born to the time we die, we're having information pushed down on us, and a lot of times we can't push back on that information because the backflow can disrupt the system, right? I use the check valve analogy, so... That's the purpose of a check valve, to uh, prevent backflow so you don't damage the, the rest of the system. And if you think of these power structures that we're going to talk about today as the system that we do not want to damage, maybe we'll start understanding a little deeper, a little deeper, this idea of closed-mindedness. I want to stress that I am not I am not claiming that we're going to find any truth about closed-mindedness. Leadosophy is not about finding absolute truths. Leadosophy is about understanding meaning, deepening our meaning of whatever we're talking about. Which leads me into my my next 
my next idea before we dive into the power structures, some people might be asking, why do we keep talking about like psychology? What does this have to do with leadership? Leadosophy for me, remember, I've said this over and over and over again, leadosophy for me, I created leadosophy as a private venture. It's a private journey that I take publicly. And that's what I hope leadosophy would become for anyone, you know, fusing leadership and philosophy to deepen your understanding of what leadership means to you, followership means to you. The reason I talk about subjects that that are psychologically driven, like thought, how the mind works. As leaders, we are our thoughts. We are our values, our belief systems. Remember, values and beliefs are the guidance system of how we operate. And the mind doesn't always necessarily understand the difference between when you're at home and when you're in the workplace or when you're out in your community. The mind is the mind. You know, we can try to deliberately compartmentalize different spaces we're in, but can we really extract different values and beliefs from one situation to the next? We can, but it's really difficult. That's what I'm, I guess that's what I'm, I'm trying to, uh, to argue is that the mind doesn't always understand the difference between, you know, moving in different spaces. You know, maybe the mind is one, one thought, one collection, constellation of thoughts, uh, you know, just can't make the difference. Just can't understand the difference between different spaces. The mind is, is trying to be its authentic self. We talked about the authentic self, the essential being on the last episode. So that's why we talk about psychology, how the mind works or doesn't work, theory about the mind on, on leadosophy because it's important to understand introspectively where do our values and beliefs come from? Can we re-examine some of our values and beliefs because they affect us when we go into the workplace, when we're leading others? My own values, my personal values that I have grown up with Maybe some have changed, maybe they have not. Even some of my most dogmatically held values, the one I'm so stubborn about, these cannot help but influence or affect how you lead others, how you see others, how you judge them in the course of their work as followers. Even if you are in the follower role, you look towards leaders and you see them through the frames of your own values and beliefs. Where did these values and beliefs come from? What values and beliefs do you have that you are so beholden to that you can't let them go no matter what? What values and beliefs do you have that are at odds with your peer group or with your organization? What about your community? These are all tension points, cognitive tension points that we're going to start discussing because, you know, I got to really thank Ken, man. Ken sent this email with, with these four questions and, you know, that's what leadosophy is all about. Ken challenged me with these questions. And, uh, as my wife would say, I, I like going down rabbit holes. I don't know if I necessarily like going down rabbit holes, but when I'm presented with an idea to, 
to dive deeper into a subject that interests me, I sometimes do not know how to stop. I imagine myself 50 feet deep in this ditch in the earth and I'm still digging and at some point like it's all going to just cave in on me. Maybe that'll happen. I don't know. But that's what Ken did with this, this closed mindedness. I, you know, I, I guess I took it for granted. I took it for granted that I started this leadosophy project or this, this podcast YouTube channel out with the open mind as a rule, not the exception. I took that for granted. I set it to be a mantra mainly for myself to keep an open mind because I wanted to remind myself that everything I talk about on leadosophy is really my thoughts, my understanding of, of, of leadership, of philosophy, combining the two, the things I come up with, the things I read from others. You know, knowledge is co-created, I believe. We co-create knowledge. So I wanted to keep an open mind. But then Ken challenged me about the closed mind. And it made me think that, you know what, maybe the closed mind is in, in actual practice. The closed mind is a rule, not the exception. In theory, open mind is a rule, not the exception, because we want to have an open mind. But in practice, probably more difficult. Okay, so I have an article up here on the screen. We're going to talk about power today. I think power is a, a good launching point for the closed mind discussion. Power and authority. Power, authority, control. Right? I don't believe leadership is about power, authority, and control. But I do believe there are many leaders who think leadership is about power, authority, and control. I would argue that some leaders enjoy this power and control. And I would go one step farther and argue that the leaders who enjoy power, control, and authority will probably turn out to be your most closed-minded leaders, your most closed-minded leaders. And that might be for a, for a variety of reasons. So this, this actually, it's, uh, this is part of Brown University's website. It's actually, a, it's actually a, one of the courses that are within Brown University's, uh, I believe it's archaeology course. Um, one, of the, one of the lessons, I guess, would be, it's on the Panopticon. So we're going to get into a little philosophy here. This, this, this um, module's titled Internalized Authority and the Prison of the Mind. Bentham and Foucault's Panopticon. Michael Foucault, a late philosopher. Bentham, a philosopher from the 1700s. Jeremy Bentham. The author writes, Jeremy Bentham, an English philosopher and social theorist in the mid-1700s, invented a social control mechanism that would become a comprehensive symbol for modern authority and discipline in the Western world, a prison system called the Panopticon. So if you're listening and not watching this, um, hopefully this description works. The, base, the author writes, the basic principle for the design, and we're talking about the Panopticon here, which Bentham first completed in 1785, was to monitor the maximum number of prisoners with the fewest possible guards and other security costs. The layout, which is depicted below, consists of a central tower for the guards surrounded by a ring-shaped building of prison cells. And again, there's a picture on the screen if you're watching. If not, imagine a tower in the middle surrounded 360 degrees by prison cells. And then the tower in the middle, the guards have a 360 degree view of every single prison cell around the tower. 
The author continues, the building with the prisoners is only one cell thick, and every cell has one open side facing the central tower. This open side has bars over it, but is otherwise entirely exposed to the tower. The guards can thus see the entirety of any cell at any time, and the prisoners are always vulnerable, invisible. Conversely, the tower is far enough from the cells and has sufficiently small windows that the prisoners cannot see the guards, guards inside of it. And here's where we get into the meat and potatoes, the sociological effect of being watched by the guards. And I want you to think about this as I read this paragraph. Think about this, you know, in, in the course of just your normal everyday life, right? Power, control, authority. The sociological effect is that the prisoners are aware of the presence of authority at all times, even though they never know exactly when they are being observed. The authority changes from being a limited physical entity to being an internalized omniscience. The prisoners discipline themselves simply because someone might be watching, eliminating the need for more physical power to accomplish the same task. Just a few guards are able to maintain a very large number of prisoners this way. Argu arguably, there wouldn't even need to be any guards in the tower at all. And I'm going to close it out with uh, Michael Foucault. The, uh, the author writes, Michael Foucault, a French intellectual and critic, expanded the idea of the panopticon into a symbol of social control that extends into everyday life for all citizens, not just, those, not just those in the prison system. That's Foucault, 1970. Foucault argues that social citizens always internalize authority, which is one source of power for prevailing norms and institutions. A driver, for example, might stop at a red light even when there are no other cars or police present. Even though there are not necessarily any repercussions, the police are an internalized authority. The police are an internalized authority. People tend to obey laws because those rules become self-imposed. The rules become self-imposed. So, friends of Leadosophy, what do you think about that? The panopticon. What are the panopticons in our life? What are the panopticons that are monitoring our behavior that keep us from pushing back on the system, that keep us from exploring other avenues that may not fall in line with our values and belief systems? I have up on the screen now, if you are listening, an infographic I created. It's titled Eight Power Structures, Influencers of Thought. So again, where does the closed mind come from? I argued on the last episode that from birth to death, a large percentage of our lives entail being told what to do and how to act. Do you agree with that? Or do you disagree with that? Being told what to do and how to act. 
makes up a large part of our lives from birth to death. And obviously, by definition, that covers adulthood. So even in adulthood, is our, are our adulthoods characterized largely by being told what to do and how to act? I think that's up for debate. I think it's an interesting question. What does that have to do with leadership? Think about the workplace, right? Think about the workplace. If you're in a leadership role, how much of your day-to-day work tasks or, you know, I separate out this management versus leadership from a management side, when you are managing tasks and processes in, within the workplace, how much of your time is spent telling others what to do and how to act? That's an interesting question, right? Now imagine being on the other side of those taskings, the followers, right? They're being told what to do, how to act. Do they have any room for pushback? We hope so, right? We hope that the person delegating the tasks has an open mind and they're willing willing to hear feedback. But sometimes that's not always the case. So again, power structures have, I believe, a heavy influence on thought. And I believe they are kind of the start of developing that closed mind. And in many cases, for good reason, right? One of the first structures, if we start clockwise. So again, if you're not, if you're not watching this, I have a brain, right, in the middle of the screen. And I have eight spokes coming out from the brain. And these are the eight different power structures that I have up here. So the first power structure, I talk about familial structures. Your parents, right? Your parents, are they or were they not a power structure in childhood? Maybe it's not parents. Maybe it's Uncle Joe, Aunt, Aunt whoever. Uh, maybe it's your grandparents. They're your first semblance of structure how you were raised. Think about, think about early stages of childhood. How much of early childhood is spent receiving information, how to, what to do, how to act? Is there a lot of pushback early, early childhood? Probably not. And, I, and again, probably for good reason in many cases, if, if my mother tells me, uh, look both ways before crossing the street, you know, maybe it's not the great time to have an open mind. I don't know. Um, maybe if I ask why, she can explain later. But if I'm getting ready to walk in front of traffic and she slaps me up back upside the back of the head and grabs me by the back of the shirt and rips me back onto the sidewalk, you know, I probably deserve it. Safety, security, right? Survival of the species. You know, we're, we're from early childhood, we're told you know, how to navigate the dangers of life, right? And sometimes there's not a lot of room for pushback, for an open mind, for risking damaging the system, the backflow analogy, right? Education systems, the second structure, power structure. How much information in the education system is top down, not a lot of bottom up information, Right? There's not a lot of room for dialogue. Could be a pro and con of the education system. Even, uh, you know, think about institutions of higher learning. How many institutions of higher learning uh, 
talk about being these beacons of critical thought, dialogue going back and forth, but in theory, they may have certain agendas. And again, I'm not saying that happens all the time. I'm just, I'm just asking a question. This is, Leadosophy is about questions, understanding. We can't deepen our understanding without questions. You know, back to familial structures, you know, I think of there's other informal structures that I think that can be in that sphere of, of family. Think about gangs, right? Think about, think about how many kids who lacked a family structure had to turn to another family structure or someone they saw as family, you know, maybe to turn to a, to a certain gang or a group of peers that functioned as a, as a, as a family. And they turned into the power structure because there was no other power structure to, to keep someone within the guardrails, right? Keeping them safe. So I think there's some informal structures around that, that family structure that can end up serving as a first as a quasi power structure and then end up being the structure for a person in a young age. So yeah, back to education systems, definitely a power structure. And I want to, I want to reiterate, when I say power structure, I'm not necessarily, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm just talking about, I'm trying to directly hit Ken's question about the origin of the closed mind. This has got to be a part of it, right? Because there's so many times that we're within these systems that we are developing our value system. And it is through our value system that we act and we decide, right? And it's through our value and belief system, our guidance system, that these, our value system may keep us from receiving new information, accepting new information. Our value and guidance system can make us stereotype, can judge people before we have all the information, all parts of the closed mind. That's why we're talking about the power structures. That's why the power structures here are important for leaders to understand. What were the power structures that influenced their values and beliefs? What power structures keep them in the world of a, of a closed mind or even open their mind up, right? These power structures can have positive effects too. All right, so familial structures, number one, education systems, number two. The third power structure I have up on the screen is the government. There are a lot of, a lot of entities covered under government local, state, national governments, um, all the various entities that are under the umbrella of government, police, uh, the IRS, um, the Federal Reserve Banking System. These are all bodies, government bodies, that largely tell us how to act, how to conduct ourselves, what is acceptable, what is not acceptable, right? They turn, in, they turn into this governmental panopticon, right? The Constitution of the United States. You know, we, re, we have this governing document of our nation, right? It's almost like a panopticon, is it not? You know, we, we operate daily based on some values, maybe on some values and beliefs that come from this, this governing document, right? And maybe we operate, our values and beliefs are based on this document. 
And it's kind of like this panopticon, right? It's always got, it's, it's always watching us. The constitution, and that sounds kind of weird, right? Maybe, the, but the constitution is always watching us, judging us. And that sounds kind of funny, but I'm being a little serious, a little serious. But yes, police, you know, we talked about that in the last article that I read. Um, prisons, I have prisons as the fourth power structure, the fourth power structure. And, you know, we have, we have roughly, I think, just over 3 million people incarcerated in the United States. That's a lot of people, 3 million people. So think about the modern day prison system. And I don't think there's a whole lot of panopticon style prisons anymore in the United States. I could be wrong. You know, with the advent of security systems and closed circuit television, monitors, you don't necessarily need a tower in the middle of a prison. But think about how many, think about how many of those in the prison systems are allowed to have an open mind. You think the closed mind is the rule and not the exception in prison? I would argue yes. Some would argue yes, there's good reasons for that. Sure, I'm willing to have that, that discussion. But what about when a, let's say, take a person who is, who is in prison for 10 years. When they come out of prison, what is their default mindset going to be? Is it going to be more closed-minded or more open-minded? Are they going to be able to um, challenge authority figures if things may not be right? It's going to be difficult, possibly. Tough to, to probably re-enter back into society sometimes based on your experiences within prison. And I say this because I've, I have spent a significant amount of time volunteering inside some uh, maximum security prisons. Uh, Dade County Correctional, Dade Correctional Facility down in South Florida. I got to spend some time working with a nonprofit down there and I talked to dozens, if not hundreds of incarcerated inmates and we're talking people who are incarcerated, you know, from 25 years to, to life sentences. And a lot of these were veterans, military veterans. And I can tell you that, you know, there's, I think the, the glimpse of an open mind that I saw talking to these, many of these inmates, these human beings, was when they, you could see when they talked to someone coming from the outside of the prison, you felt like they opened up more. They wanted to be heard. They wanted to say what was on their mind. And uh, I tried my best to listen. Because um, like I said, it was a pretty impactful experience to me. But when you don't have people from the outside talking to you every day, you know, as an inmate, I think maybe your mind tends to close back up. And again, maybe just a survival mechanism, right? Survival mechanism. So the fifth power structure, the workspace. Right. Again, the workspace, the workspace, again, you're not governed by a constitution per se, but you have policies, procedures, rules. All these things are telling you how to behave, what to do, how to act, how to treat others. A lot of information coming down, right, pressing like a spring. It's pressing on the mind, right, pressing on the mind, influencing the thought maybe facilitating more of a closed-minded disposition rather than an open-minded disposition. 
ideology and norms, the sixth power structure. Ideology, I think of nationalism, uh, populism, communism, socialism, capitalism. These are all ideologies, right? As you grew up, how did you develop your ideological guidance system? Was your father a strict capitalist? Was your mother a communist? Is this, this, these, are, these are behaviors that you observed growing up. This might even been what you were told was right growing up. You must value capitalism. Communism is the best form of control, of government, of a financial system. If you're hearing that growing up, childhood, once you become an adult, are you going to be able to question those ideologies? Are you going to carry those ideologies into the workplace as a leader? Nationalism, socialism, populism, whatever it may be. Again, I'm trying to show the link a little bit to leadosophy or leadership these power structures. So yes, uh, the origin of closed-mindedness starts in childhood when we are being told what to do and not so much to keep us safe, but how much residual things are we told by parental figures, other authority figures in childhood. This is how you should behave. This is what's important. Not so much to keep you safe, but because I think it's important as an adult, I'm telling you it's important. And then you carry on that tradition or you reject it. And we're going to talk about that a little bit in a minute. Some questions to end this episode about these power structures. Uh, the mass media, my last two power structures, number seven of eight, the mass media, big tech, big technology, social media, and the social media overlords. I say that kind of funny. But they have a large influence in our life, do they not? How much influence or how much information comes top down to our brains from heads of social media corporations? Think about the rules and regulations. Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is. Again, the argument of whether these rules are good or bad is, is not for leadosophy to answer. I'm saying when you're consistently told what to do, how to act, and you cannot push back on that system, this uh, tacitly implies or maybe even explicitly implies the closed mind is the rule and not the exception. And finally, religious institutions, uh, religions of all, all nominations, denominations, religious institutions, Obviously, I think it goes without saying that religious institutions play a large part in people's lives. Religious institutions serve often as that guidance system, values, beliefs. This is how you should act. Is there pushback? Maybe there's no room for pushback. Maybe an open mind is the exception and not the rule within religious institutions. Maybe it differs between what religious institution you're in. Uh, 
I don't particularly know the answer on a universal scale. And again, I'm not trying to find the truth here. I'm just asking questions because the religious institution is a power structure that pushes information top down, right? Pushes information top down. And again, using the check valve analogy, is there backflow allowed, right? Will backflow damage the system, the institution? Okay, we're going to wrap this up with questions for leadosophy. And as I, I'm not looking for answers on these questions for me, so to speak. I'm, I'm kind of just putting this out there for the audience. I'm just going to read these questions kind of based off what we talked about today, round out this discussion. I think this is kind of enough for, for the closed mind discussion. And then we can dive deeper, even deeper, go deeper down the rabbit hole next episode. Okay, so questions for leadosophy. So again, we're thinking about the eight power structures I just talked about. Government, religious institutions, familial structures, education systems, so on and so forth. Of the institutions we talked about above, which institutions shape our thought systems? our values, beliefs, assumptions. And again, this first question is about, you know, one of the, one of the parts of a closed mind is, is cognitive biases, right? We develop these biases. A lot of times these biases come from our values and beliefs and assumptions, right? That's the origin. That's the genesis of these biases we have, right? That's why this is important. Which structure, structures above encourage an open mind and freedom of thought. Which structures above demand obedience? Demand obedience. Which structures above rely more heavily on power, authority, and control? Which structures above use fear as a tool of influence? And I want to stop for a second and talk about this idea of fear because I wrote some I wrote some ideas down about fear because I talked about this in the last episode reading the the article on psychology today because the author of that last article talked about why are we closed-minded and she posited the assumption that it is fear and I talked about fear is pain the mind wants to avoid pain and seek pleasure so what do we fear what is this pain that we avoid What causes us to avoid some information, reject other information, or passively accept information on its face without question? And I wrote down, and again, I think these are are some ideas of why we are closed-minded, right? This idea of fear, I'm expanding on this idea of fear. We fear embarrassment. We fear the heretic label. We fear outcast. The herd is safer. We fear disappointing one or many within our social networks. We fear incoherence. Incoherence between perception and reality. Our perception versus your perception, right? Your reality versus my reality. Those will never be completely aligned. They can't be coherent. So this creates a cognitive tension in our minds. We fear mistakes. We fear mistakes. We fear shame. We fear power structures and those who wield the power from within these structures. 
the power to destroy our reputations for nonconformity. And again, this is just a general statement. I'm not saying this is true of any one power structure that I talked about earlier. I'm just saying this can happen. We fear appearing less intelligent than someone else. Maybe a subordinate or a child or some random person on social media. We fear liking someone we're not supposed to. Growing up, maybe we were told that all X are bad, all Y are bad. So my liking of anyone in category X or Y creates tension between what I've been told to value and not to value. And what I actually value and do not value, which goes back to that authentic self, our essential self. We fear chaos, uncertainty, ambiguity, and overall lack of structure in the mind. We even fear cognitive effort, the mind minds resistance, preferring easier paths to solutions, quick information. We stereotype. It's a quick answer. This person is this way because I saw this. Yet I would argue we didn't have all the facts, all the information. We fear information that does not fit our cognitive biases, our inherited value and belief systems, and our version of the truth, capital T. Back to the infographic question for leadosophy. And again, that's, that's enough on fear, but again, I wanted to overemphasize this idea of fear because fear is a real thing. It can be a really deep source of keeping our mind closed to new information. Of the power structures that we talked about, the eight power structures, which ones have more influence than others? Why is this the way it is? I think about in childhood, maybe, you know, obviously your, your familiar structure may have more influence than your national government, right? Maybe your religious institutions have more influence at a younger age. Or maybe you turn to religion later in life. So later in life, religious institutions um, have more influence as a structure. Which structures above work together to reinforce power, authority, and control? Which of the power structures above have competing values or aligning values, right? And what happens when your values do not align with one of the power structures? Are we in danger of being marginalized, embarrassed, or outcasted for non-obedience or non-conformity to any structure above? Again, this is fear. Are we afraid? Are we scared of being embarrassed? Are we f or do we fear telling someone a certain value we may have or a way we think for fear of being outcasted? What do we gain or lose for conformity to the power structure? You know, think about well, work. Obviously, we gain a paycheck by conforming to the rules, policies, procedures within our workplace, right? We get a paycheck. Thus, we have a roof over our head. We have food in our bellies. And lastly, which I open the show with, are any of these questions applicable to leadership? Why or why not? Again, these power structures create our value and guidance system. And again, this may change and develop over time. And this may create good values, bad values, 
again, we may debate on what's good and bad, but this affects how you lead others. Leadosophy is introspective. We're turning the gaze inward. Turning the gaze inward, looking at ourselves first, others second. That's why the power structures and the discussion about the power structures is important to leadosophy and to leadership. That's enough for leadosophy today. That was a that was more in depth than I anticipated. I kind of let it take a organic path. I didn't want to kind of cap this one at a certain amount of time because I wanted to dive deep into the questions that Ken asked me on the closed mind because his questions are important. And I value what, what Ken has to say and his his ideas. So, so there we go. Thanks for watching Leadosophy. Remember, Leadosophy is about using the tools of philosophical thought to deepen our understanding of leadership and of life. I would argue of life as well. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching and listening to another episode of Leadosophy. If you liked what you heard today, hit that subscribe button and check out leadosophy.com and learn more about Tim's ideas on philosophy and leadership. We'll see you next time.